You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. So we're kicking off a new series, a series of unfortunate events for the next three weeks. And we're going to be walking through the life of an Old Testament character named Joseph. We're going to spend three weeks digging deep into the details of his life. And some of you, I bet when this music came on, it brings back memories. You recognized it, didn't you? Maybe a movie several years ago or a hit Netflix show that's currently going. And you see that in the flow of this story, there are three children who discover what you and I have discovered or maybe are discovering and surely will discover at some time in our life. That this idea of hope, it's less about a jolt of relief as if we're going to be rescued. And it's more about the idea of being a result of a journey or hope. It's a process. And it's easy for you and I to get hope mixed up with want. Something happens, you're like, I hope this changes. But really, we just want it to. Hope is deeper. It has more substance. It's a little more significant. And it's not just a jolt of relief. It's a result of a journey, a journey that begins with a series of unfortunate events. The very first time I stood before you all, around three years ago, I told you about a scene in our lives where I did one of the most unmanly things I've ever done. Okay. Any guys out there, you've done some unmanly things. Okay. Can you top this? Sitting out on a swing out in the yard, having a late breakfast, me and the family just hanging out, enjoying one another, beautiful summer morning. I have a boiled egg and I get choked on a piece of boiled egg. Can you top that? choked on a piece of boiled egg. So it doesn't go down, just lingers for a while. And historically, I've had this little issue with getting choked a little bit. And Michelle gets kind of frustrated that I don't go and get one of those things where they pump the balloon down there and stretch the esophagus. Just don't like doctors. So I hold off. Six hours later, it's still hanging around there. I can still breathe, still talk, interact, all the stuff, but it just won't go down. So she insists that I go to the hospital. So we go to the hospital. They say, hey, no big deal. We see this all the time. We're just going to give you a little medicine. It's going to relax the muscles. It'll slip down. You'll be A-OK and out of here in no time. A couple hours later, it's still there. So they're like, hey, no biggie. We see this all the time. We're just going to take this little scope, run it down your throat, poke it down. You'll be fine. A few hours later, I wake up, intense pain, hospital bed, being rushed down a hallway into ICU. I discover that my family, they don't know what's going on because the doctors don't know exactly what to do because they punctured my esophagus with the scope, which led over time to a collapsed lung. A few days later, we get the news that I have a pulmonary embolism. A few weeks later, we get um, news that there's been intense stress on my heart, so they're sending me to a cardiac unit. And they are out of ideas because what has also happened is that I have an infection that they can't identify. So over the course of about 30 days in the hospital, we see that there's this series of unfortunate events unraveling. And I tell you what, it was crazy because we lost everything during that time. Everything. My life lay in the balance, unsure of what was going to happen. The kiddos were really small. 
Michelle was kind of a single mom to three children during the time. And she's having a phone conversation with um, someone that's very important in my life. And I shared with you these words, and I want to give them to you one more time. This was her interaction. She said, I felt like I was alone. Anybody ever felt that way? I felt like I was alone. I received all kinds of messages from people who loved us saying, oh, Michelle, everything's going to be okay. But David was in the hospital, and the doctors did not know what was wrong. Driving home from the hospital one morning, I received a call from one of our close friends, David's mentor. He was the first and the only person to say, Michelle, David may not make it. But either way, God is sovereign, and he is in control. Notice what she writes next. This was bouncing around. That possibility was bouncing around in my heart all along. But he was the first person to say it out loud. Nothing changed immediately, but for the first time, I felt comforted. I felt relief. I felt honesty. I felt real. Some of you know what it's like to feel real. You've been involved in a series of unfortunate events, just like our friend Joseph. Joseph's a 17-year-old guy, and he gets this dream dropped into his mind, a dream that we think's from God. But what's interesting about the first section of this story, Genesis chapter 37, if you like to follow along with your device or if you like to follow along with an open Bible, Genesis chapter 37, it's in the Old Testament, very first book of the Bible. What's interesting is that God's really not referenced. And once you hear about Joseph getting this dream and then getting beat up by his brothers, he's silent. We don't get any word about his understanding of his suffering. So when we jump into the story, Joseph receives this dream. We think it's from God. And it's this dream where he's going to ascend to some kind of authority to be a ruler. And what's going to happen after a series of unfortunate events is that he's going to be able to save his people. Now, some people say that this was actually written. This was written at a time when Israel had lost hope. So the author of Genesis comes along, and as he's choosing, being led by the Holy Spirit, what he's going to record in this account that we call Genesis, and he pens this story of Joseph, it's to remind Israel about what hope is. But before hope plays out, before hope comes to fruition, there's a series of unfortunate events. So the dad loves Joseph. Joseph's kind of the baby. The dad loves the baby, and he gives them this gift. It's a robe. It's called an ornamented robe, and he gives it to Joseph, and it strikes up some bitter feeling, feelings with the brothers. Well, let's read it together. Now, Israel, which just is another name for Jacob. So Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he had made a richly ornamented robe for him. Hold on for that screen just a second. He loved him because he had been born to him in his old age. Out of curiosity, those of you, don't show your hands, those of you with multiple children, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite? Don't, don't answer out loud. And I'd be curious if it's the youngest. There's a talk show host recently uh, put out an article, I think it was late last week, and she said that out of her three children with her current husband, the baby is her favorite. 
She says the baby, if you have three children, the third, they clean up after themselves. They do what they're told. They honor rules. I don't know if that's true or not, but they have a favorite, and she has a favorite, and so does Israel. So we go on. So he gives them this rope, and when the brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. They hated Joseph, and they could not speak a kind word to him. It's really interesting to consider what's going on with this robe because it's less of a gift now and it's more of a visual illustration that something's different. And I don't know, I don't want to read too much in the text, but don't you think that's true for how we journey through life? You've got two people and they're both struggling with similar circumstances and they're both Christians and they're both suffering and there's difficulties and there's prayers going up for both. And it seems like the prayers of this person are being answered. And there's healing and recovery and moving forward. And this person's life just seems to continue to spiral out of control. What's going on? Does God have favorites? You look at someone who goes into the hospital. People who love them gather around and they pray. And within just a matter of maybe hours or days, they're out and recovered and fine. And then prayers are going up for me and we have no idea what's going on. Does God have favorites when it comes to his children? And this is powerful because Christian or non-Christian, we look out and every single person you will lock eyes with has been, has been created in the image of our holy, loving God. But also when you look at the layout of life, it seems like maybe he does have favorites. And is that true? So I have one of my favorite authors, Walter Brueggemann. He makes this point. He says, this narrative about Joseph this narrative may have been written when the reality of God was not debated. Oh, yeah, I believe in a God. Yeah, I believe there's a creator. You can't look at creation and think that this just happened by accident. The reality of God's not being debated, but his reality is being treated as irrelevant. If there is a God, then why isn't he involved in my life? So you look at the lives of others and it's like they have this robe on and it's a reminder that maybe you're not the favorite. This is crazy. So we go on in the story. What happens next? Joseph gets this dream. He starts talking about it. He's got this robe and now he's going around telling his brothers about this beautiful dream, what God's going to do in his life and invokes jealousy and more deeply rooted hatred from the brothers. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they actually stripped them of his robe and this was plotted. You read through the narrative, you see that Joseph's going out to find them, have some kind of interaction with them, and they see, the, see Joseph coming from afar, and they start planning to kill the guy. They want to take his life. And then the older brother, Reuben, steps in and says, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's do something else. We won't kill him, but we will do something. So they strip off his robe, the richly ornamented robe, the visual he was wearing, and they took him, and they threw him into the cistern this big jar filled with water, they toss them in there. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that? What do you do when you look out at life and it seems like, well, God, is, is he irrelevant? We believe there is a God, but is he irrelevant? What do you do when you look out at life and it seems like, and it seems like hum, humans are in control? Like we're the established authority you think about some of your closest friends or your colleagues, and I bet they have questions about your faith. And maybe some of the questions are those most basic, but they're still the most real. 
If there is a God and he cares and he loves us, why is there so much suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does a son who's 17 and it's not his fault that he's loved by his dad and his dad gave him a gift, why is he brutally beaten by his brothers and thrown into a water jug? James Smith makes this note. He says, you know the purposes of God? The purposes of God are not always by intrusion where God just steps into your life and changes things. And the purposes of God are not always abrupt action. At times, his purpose is played out in the natural context of life. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have this tug where I can make faith all about me or sometimes I want to think maybe I make it hokey or maybe I try to reduce it to just how it pertains to my life or my scenarios or my difficulties or my suffering. Let me give you two quick analogies. And if you can relate, uh, share something with me. Send me a note. See me after service. I'd love to know if this is you true, if this is you too, because this is a detail that I had to spend some intentionality probably a few years early on in my faith journey to really work through. So where we lived in Harlan, there wasn't anything like Monkey Joes or Malibu Jacks. Closest thing we had was in a small town called Barberville. Anybody familiar with Barberville? It was about an hour away from our hometown, hour away from home. And they had this really tame version of Malibu Jacks. And it was Gaddy Town. But it wasn't the Gaddy Town like over in Nicholasville Road. This was tame. We had games and that was it. There weren't any rides or anything like that. So we would drive over to Gaddy Town, have some pizza, let the kids play the games and all that stuff. Make a fun day out of going to Barberville. Anybody ever make a fun day out of going to Barberville? So we'd, you know, spend a day in Barberville. So we're there one day in the middle of summer. It's super hot. Christian and Sophie, there's no belly yet. Christian and Sophie, they're small. We spend a fun time there in Gaddy Town. We come out blistering hot, we walk out to the car and we realize that we've locked the keys in the car. Common incident. I'm sure you've done that too, right? And I don't know if we've just been, if we're exhausted or what, but it's one of those moments where Michelle and I are getting a little irritated. It's hot outside. We feel the heat and we start feeling the heat from one another, not in a passionate way, but in a provoking way. We're irritated. This is happening. Why can't we get in the car? And I kid you not, this is some time ago, I can you not that my thinking is this. I'm like, I'm looking at this lock. I'm like, God, will you just pop it up? Come on, God, just. Really? And I kid you not, I said this in my mind to our Father in heaven. Come on, God. You can part a sea and let people walk through it. Surely you can pop up this lock. And I had to spend some time thinking, yeah, he can. He most assuredly can pop up that lock. But that doesn't mean he's going to. And if I start hanging my hat on whether God answers those prayers or always comes to my rescue to validate his existence or that he cares about me just like he does everyone else, I'm in trouble when it comes to faith. The second story, we're in our living room. Sophie's kind of a baby. I'm here wrestling with her. She's ballistic, not because she's bad, not because she's hurt, but because she has this fever. 
and we just can't get this fever to go down. And she's small, and we've contacted a nurse, and she's given us steps. This fever won't go down. She's miserable. It's in the middle of the night, and I'm just swaying with her, rocking her, and I'm thinking, come on, God. Won't you just take this fever away? It's gone. Come on, just snap your fingers. Make it go away. And in my mind, I'm thinking, what about Peter's mother-in-law? It's right there in the Bible, God. You went in in the form of Jesus, and you healed her. And this sweet little girl has a fever. Just take it. Again, if you start to hang your hat on every prayer that you pray, if it doesn't get answered, that maybe God's not interested. Maybe he doesn't care. You think maybe there is a God, but it's irrelevant to you because he hasn't intruded to help. There's not been any abrupt action. We're in dangerous territory if we think like that. Can I read something to you? It's an article from the Christian Standard. I was reading through this article. I got it here in its rare form. Reading through this article, and it blew me away, this guy's story as he's walking through it and he's telling what's going on in his life. So I've finished the article. I go back after making some notes. I want to share a few with you. And I go back and I look at the author, and it blew me away. This is one of my graduate professors. I know this dude. I said under his tutelage, he led me in some leadership courses. I know this guy, and I, wanted, I want to share his story with you a little bit and, and read to you some of the things that he explicitly states about how he thinks God's working in his life. I had no idea that this guy came from a broken home. Could have never told. Came from an abusive mom, abusive dad. And the guy struggled with pornography for like 30 or 40 years. Lust just had a hold on him. But you know what? You would never notice it, just like you would never notice that there's a problem with Joseph because he's silent. Time out one second before you read. If suffering is part of your life right now and you feel yourself in a series of unfortunate events, will you let us know? I see this more often than you would ever imagine because here we are seated and we've got smiles and wonderful music that we're singing to our God. And you probably look good, you're clean, favorite shirt, favorite clothes. Maybe you're here with a family member, a guest, someone from out of town. And we would never know that in your own psyche, you feel some pressure. And it's a challenge for you to cope right now. You would be amazed at a group of this size how many of us are really, really struggling. I had no clue. And you read through the early phases of this story with Joseph. And you have no clue what he's thinking because there's silence on his part. Will you share that with us? So he, he writes, he says, you know, I believe several inner falsehoods. The first is God doesn't care about my life. I'm his cosmic joke. The second was this, I deserved, I deserved my abuse. I deserved my neglect. And the third was this, People want to hurt me, and people will abandon me. Most people never knew the struggle I had that I'd masked for 40 years. He goes on. He says, unfortunately, and this is after he shares that he went to a 12-step recovery program because lust was taking over his life. He went to a 12-step to a recovery program, and they encouraged him to share what was going on in his life 
with his wife, and he did. And she left. Unfortunately, my recovery didn't save my marriage. It's unfortunate. I knew confession had a price, but never expected my 30-year marriage to dissolve. My unwanted divorce produced new pain, new problems. Through it all, though, I tried to believe that God was working something greater. And if I simply did the next right thing, no matter how dark, no matter how difficult, God would honor my faithfulness, my integrity, and get this, he would honor my suffering. Sometimes God's purpose in your life carries on, but it's not by intrusion or abrupt action. So these brothers throw Joseph into the cistern, and then they get all bent out of shape about what they're going to do, what they're going to tell their dad, because remember, he is dad's favorite. So they go and they find this robe, and they dip it in blood, and they're like, you know what? We'll take it. Here's the plan. We'll take this robe. We'll show it to dad. He'll think some wild animal came out and got him, and all will be well, and we can move on. So we jump back into the story. So they took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, hey, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. Jacob, Israel, he recognized it, and he said, that is my son's robe. And then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and he mourned. He mourned for his son many days, and all his sons and daughters came to comfort him. But notice this. He refused to be comforted. I bet you felt that way before, haven't you? Something's going on. Somebody has some good advice, some words of wisdom. You don't want to hear that. You're not open to that right now, and I get it. If you remember the story of Job, one of the most brilliant things that his friends did, they came by, Job's in this immense initial suffering that he's going through. Do you remember what his friends did? Yeah, they come by and they don't speak a word. They just sit with him. They sit with him for seven days. They're just present. So if you ever find yourself in a scenario with someone you love and care for, they're going through some intense difficulty and you don't know what to say, that might be okay. That might be okay as long as you're around. Just hang out and be with them. But this guy, Jacob, he refuses to be comforted. You know, you and I follow a leader who is the prime example of a leader, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is filled with integrity and honesty. And he tells you and I up front that when you and I start to follow him, it's not all going to be great. There's going to be some difficulties. Remember John 16? Jesus says, in this world, when you and I live the daily rhythm of life in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Unfortunately, hope, being the result of a journey, is slow-paced. It takes a while to play out. So as we work through this series of unfortunate events through the life of Joseph over the next three weeks, we're going to weave in a teaching from the New Testament that I think fits squarely with this and can help you and I move forward, especially we're in those beginning stages and we're suffering. It comes from Romans chapter 5, and if you don't know this verse, I would encourage you to maybe memorize it, take it to heart, um, circle it in your Bible if you do that, highlight it, make some note about it. But Paul simply says, the Apostle Paul writing this in the New Testament, 
Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. Hope isn't this jolt of relief. It's the result of a journey. Sometimes a journey that begins with a series of unfortunate events. And the narrative of Joseph illustrates what this text says. Suffering produces. Suffering produces. When you're like Jacob and you don't want to be comforted, you just want to mourn, you want to sulk, you want to be the victim. I get that because sometimes life is hard. But that doesn't mean that God is not there, that he's irrelevant, that he's not wanting to move his purposes forward through you and I. He's fully aware that suffering produces Suffering has value. The actual word for suffering that we use here, it's not about physical necessarily. It's more mental, inward, if you will. And the thrust of the Greek term means this, where you feel like you're backed up against a wall and you're out of options. So the challenging part is coping with what's going on. That's what he means when he says that kind of life, that kind of intensity produces something. You're backed against the wall. You don't have many options. You're challenged with coping. That helps you refine what's important. That helps you refine the values that need to drive you forward. So my professor, he actually goes on and he comments on this. He says, what do you do when you find yourself in these moments of suffering? Unlike Jacob, His encouragement is this, embrace the present. Embrace the present, no matter how bleak. He writes, nobody wants trouble. Nobody really expects crisis, conflict, or dire circumstances. But trials come and peace emerges when we have accepted hardship. Pain happens, stuff breaks, Life changes, people leave, but suffering solidifies your core beliefs in your creator and supplies wisdom. Isn't that beautiful? So we're gonna leave this hanging just a little bit. We're gonna leave this hanging so that the Holy Spirit has room to move in your heart and mind and to operate as we worship, room to work in your heart and mind as you reflect on what we've I talked about from God's holy word. Room to give you space to say, hey, I need to make a change. And you can pray right now in your seat. You can pray as we worship. Or you can meet me down here. I'll be to your right. I'd love to chat with you, especially if you're in the mix of some unfortunate events. But this story is really interesting, and this is why we're going to leave it hanging just a little bit. We've heard nothing from God, and we've heard nothing from Joseph. And sometimes that's the case with you and I. But what we see at the end of this story is as as this chapter comes to a close, and this is the last verse in this chapter, we've got this word, meanwhile. Meanwhile, Joseph was sold in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. We're going to leave this building. And meanwhile, Meanwhile, even if we can't see it, God is active.
Joseph's not free, but he's not dead. God's keeping this going. And suffering, it's going to produce in the life of Joseph. So my professor ends this article, and he says, you know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my addiction. I'm grateful for my troubles. And I'm grateful for the depression I've experienced because God has led me to deeper grace through them all. God is working and God is winning. My healing is proof. I think that's probably true for many of you as well. And if you have a hard time with that, how there can be so much suffering and difficulty in the world and there still be a loving God who cares for us, you just look to the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ where God used his son in those moments of suffering to deal with sin, your sin and my sin. And you know what? He says, through that suffering, I can make you whole. I can make you new. He's fully aware that suffering, it produces. And the suffering of Jesus Christ, our Savior, can produce change in your life. If you want to talk about your next steps in the faith, I'd love to meet you there to your right. But Father, we love you. And we know, or at least we want to believe that you love us. Sometimes we have found ourselves in a series of unfortunate events and it leads us to questions. Maybe it leads us away from you a little. We want to be reminded, Father, that in this world, we will have trouble, but we can take heart because Christ, our Lord, has overcome the world. And he knows that suffering produces. So right now, God, for anyone here this morning in this room that is suffering, we pray for a renewed spirit in their heart and mind. This pressure that they're feeling of how they're going to cope, being backed up against the wall without options. We pray, Father, that you do lead them to perseverance. And maybe it's not abrupt action. Maybe you don't intrude but you're still there. And meanwhile, you're working in their lives. Move us forward, Father. Forward so that we are closer and closer to this idea of hope and what that really means. Father, we surrender to you now. And as always, we pray and we praise you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.